Welcome to the Nintendo Fusion Podcast, a podcast that fuses past, present, and future Nintendo thought. I'm David, accompanied by my friend Jordan. Now, Jordan, what do you call a daredevil weedle who does motorcycle stunts? I don't know, David. What do you call a daredevil weedle? <laughs> a weedle Knievel. <laughs> <laughs> the book was not in this game. <laughs> I know. <laughs> But whatever, it was a it was a really funny joke that I found on like clean Pokemon jokes for kids dot com or something like that. <laughs> um, if you couldn't tell by the content of our joke, it is a Pokemon episode, though you probably also saw that from the title of this episode. Uh, we're going to be doing our deep dive one month later review of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet today. Um we will give a nice little spoiler warning when it comes to when we're going to talk about story stuff, but you should probably consider everything we talk about a spoiler if you haven't already finished the game. Don't you think, Jordan? I think this is going to be a pretty heavy spoiler episode. All right. Um, so we won't even a, bother with in. the spoiler yeah, warning. I don't, I don't even want to like break it up. Okay. Then we won't break it up. So this is your spoiler warning right now. We were just, we're talking about the whole games. Sorry. Uh, come back after you've beaten it, maybe. <laughs> or just listen to it, whatever you want. But, uh, Jordan, why don't you kick us off? What, what should we start talking about first? So, um, it's been a, a, a little while since we've last talked. Uh, the last two episodes, we were kind of down on these games, I feel like. Uh, we were not too impressed with our initial, um, impressions with, with this game, with Scarlet and Violet. I feel like I've kind of come around since then, now that I've beaten the game. Yeah, um, <laughs> I can agree with that. Spending a lot more time with it has made it far more enjoyable and palatable in my mind. Yeah, I don't think the game has a very strong opening. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> like, if you compare it to other open world games, such as, like, Breath of the Wild, Elden Ring, even a more story-focused one like Horizon Zero Dawn, um, all those games get you into the gameplay loop pretty quickly. Um, this does not. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, what really drove me crazy and has driven me crazy on like a subsequent playthrough is how like even at the beginning of the game, after you finally leave your house, you can't run until you get to like a fork in the road. Like the game's like, no, you have to walk very slowly while Sprigatito, Quaxley and uh, Fue Coco just kind of follow you around. We want you to love these three Pokemon. They want like, you to but, bond with them, David. <laughs> I'm like, why am I moving so slow? <laughs> like, Are you I telling was going me that to you've already anyway? come, made your decision before playing the game? Well, no, this is the I first did. time you've seen them, right? <laughs> I mean, I know for a lot of kids, it's a really nice thing to do to be able to walk up to the Pokemon. You can actually interact with them quite a bit more than you ever have been able to with the starters and get a feel for their personality, which is really cool. But like for me that saw all of the preview trailers that kept up with most of the leaks, I was like, just let me run so that I can choose Sprigatito as my starter. Please. <laughs> yeah, and I went a few Coco. Um I will say I like these starters. Um, when I initially saw their designs, I was not too fond of them. Uh, Fucoco was my favorite, but even then I thought Fucoco was pretty mid. Now that I've used all three, uh, like all three are on like my end team. I got, I, I, I believe I had you 
send me yeah. <laughs> the duck and the the cat. Yep. Um, I like all three of them. Yeah, I think, I they think they're all, a pretty strong trio. They're pretty strong. Their designs aren't that bad. People complain about like <laughs> the um, bipedalness of <laughs> the cat and the of two of them. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think the animations of Quacks Quacksleys are pretty. I, I like the animations. I like the dancing and like the, the the ring like flying around and everything whenever it attacks. Yeah, it's a really great idle animation for in battles like it's surprisingly interesting i think and like i think people also need to understand that these three starters are very clearly based off of forms of entertainment um that are pretty typical of the region that the games are based on you know the um spain and um portugal uh peninsula you know um Miauscorada is a um like magician you know which is pretty cool and its signature move is really cool with the flower um Skeledurge is a, an opera singer and it works really well with its design because the little bird on the front of its snout with the patterns around the rest of its snout it actually looks like a stage that you'd have at a gigantic concert which is really cool and then Quackwaval is just a really fun dancer <laughs> like I think think it's really cool that they kept a strong theme with these starters because most of the time the starters don't really have a consistent theme between all three of them um there is a case with like um let's see i believe it was Sinnoh. no 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 sorry i'm 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 merging all of the fire starters being originally based off of the zodiac <laughs> yeah the zodiac thing is is over now <laughs> yeah it's dead <laughs> but um i feel like the last few generations ever since Honestly, every generation since fourth gen has had like a theme across all the yeah. like, all the starters. So for, fourth gen, it was based off of like legends, uh, mythological people. So you had like Poseidon and Wukong and um, the Earth Turtle. <laughs> um, and then in I don't remember the theme of the fifth of the fifth game. I just know that the pig was based off of another Wukong character. Right, and Samurai was a samurai. <laughs> and so Viper's based off of, like, French royalty. So. Yeah, so there's not much of a strong thing between the three there. <laughs> but 6th Gen, they were all role playing, traditional role-playing classes. So yep, you had the yep. Rogue, the Mage, and the Paladin. Um, and then 7th, 8th, and now ninth Gen are all based off of entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> um, you had, once again, the Singer... Uh, the archer and then also the wrestler. So they were different sports, I guess. Yeah. And then in eighth gen, they were all just like different, um, things or entertainment things that the UK is known for. So James Bond, soccer and rock, rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I, I just, I guess I got overwhelmed thinking about all of the different generations that I started mixing everything together. But yeah, they've had very, very good theming. But I think that these three honestly fit a tighter theme than some of the past generations. And I just think that it works out really well. Plus, all three of them have really great hidden abilities. So it's really kind of fun to see the starters being strong again, especially after the Galar uh, Gen 8 starters were fairly weak, <laughs> except yeah, for, I, I guess, Cinderace. I remember boxing my three starters in Sword and Shield <laughs> halfway through like, the game. It's like, these are useless. And a large part of that was because they were monotype Pokemon. Right, um, right. Cinderace was only saved because it had Libero, so it could change its typing, like Protein, or Protein, however you pronounce it. 
Capodian, um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Cinderace was pretty good in that way. And I guess Rillaboom had some play with its grassy surge, which was really good for some of its movesets, but nobody really ever used Inteleon, <laughs> which is a shame. But it seems like all three of these starters, at the very least, two of them will actually be pretty good going into competitive. But we'll, we'll talk yeah, more about like the competitive um, scene later. Yeah, so the grass so Meowskarada and Skeledurge are both currently pretty decent in the current meta but Quaxel has like a lot of good tech for if if the meta ever evolves it will be useful it's just not useful for the current meta yeah yeah um but anyway kind of back to the beginning of the game and how much of a slog it is beyond uh getting your starter um, I do think that the beginning of the game establishes some of the characters extremely well. Um, I think that Nimona is already like within the first hour of the game, one of the most interesting rivals that you have. Um, I know some people like to hate on her, but I think that she's actually a really great character and a really fun friend rival to have. She's like an actual upgraded real version of Hop that actually knows how to battle. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say that, but then she was like, oh, wow, I didn't think of using the fire move against my grass Pokemon. <laughs> the first. True. Um, Maybe yeah, she's so just making you feel better, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's patronizing me. She's mocking me. <laughs> yeah, <that too. laughs> because it turns out she was just sandbagging the whole time. She's already the champion. Right. I still want to fight her original champion team. Um, it's implied through some of her texts that she builds up uh, the team that she ends up with at the end of the game along with you. Like that team is uh, constantly being leveled up. So we don't know what her original team was yet. Probably yeah. the Pomot is like her, um, her ace. Her Pikachu. Cause, yeah. Cause he hangs out in her uh, dorm room too. When you finish all of that side questy stuff. Anyway, um, I, I do think Nimona is a really fun character. Um, the first battle was kind of cool, even though you could see all of the visual problems with the game in that first battle. There were instances where your starter would just disappear while it was out on the beach down there. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Oh, I'm also frustrated. Um, so like I started a Nuzlocke and I had a Sprigatito in the cutscenes that looked a lot like it was a shiny um yeah <laughs> game shiny locked so no shiny for me but <laughs> wow wow did it taunt me i showed you the like the yeah. images right those are just you screenshots and i swear it looked like uh sprigatito's eyes were purple because that's really what the shiny is it is purple eyes and slightly lighter colored um fur but i, I it looked like a shiny to me but they are shiny locked so maybe it was the same case where with um Arvin, when you fight with Arvin, there's a chance that the display Pokemon in like cutscenes and battles that he sends out is shiny, even though it's shiny locked and the game properly calculates in <laughs> anti shiny for his battle Pokemon. Just randomly, it'll so, appear shiny. <laughs> so it's using different models for the two. Oh, no. Well, so it's like using different stat blocks for the two. It's so weird. <laughs> so wait, wait, wait. Was it shiny then? Was it? I don't know. It might have been. I, sh I should send it to some of my more data miney friends and see what they have to say about it. I, I didn't get to that. But I it was might so be. excited because, yeah, it, it was purple eyes. Like you could tilt around and everything, and it would it say that purple. It wasn't like the magenta color that it typically is. Yeah, but anyway, that that's just fun. They keep the shiny locks in, but then it sure does look like you get teased, <laughs> and we know for sure that there are some that are 
shiny lock that appear non shiny or that appear shiny. I mean, the version 1.1.0 update actually shiny locked the um, parrot Pokemon that appear on top of your house in the first cutscene because apparently those weren't shiny locked either. Anyway, weird, weird things happen at the beginning. But then, of course, you finish fighting with Nimona and then you're left to not being able to ride on your ride Pokemon forever. You have to like slog through the first area. Then you have to deal with um, the walking cutscene. Um, where <laughs> Coridon or Maridon are incredibly powerful, but yet you can't really do anything the whole time. And then you have to walk all the way to the first town. And then once you get to the first town, it's cutscene after cutscene after box of dialogue after dialogue, where you're just like, can I, can I please just go out into the open world now? Yeah, it was definitely an interesting approach where every open world game, they want to like hit you with the open worldness of their game within like the first minute or within the first few minutes. And this one made the brave decision of not doing that at all. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, here, you can have some of the open world mechanics, I guess, but no fast movement, no useful tools. You just got to walk and then sit through cutscenes in this walled off area. Because that's what I I play Pokemon for. (laughs) I mean, you could probably say it's kind of like the first area in Breath of the Wild, but the first area in Breath of the Wild is like 80 times bigger, I swear, than what you're given to in this first hour of the game. And you can go off in any direction you want because you're Link trying to figure out what you're supposed to do. You know that you have to go to the tower and you know that you have to clear the first four shrines, but everything else that you do in that time is up to you. There are people that spend like 10 hours on the great plateau that just yeah. like and the, the great plateau is really just kind of like a shrunken down version of the rest of the game yeah exactly and it just lets you go out and you don't even have to talk to the old man at the very beginning you can just run off and do whatever you want as soon as as soon as you leave the cave um right. breath of the wild is probably one of the best examples of like an early game tutorial to try and like get people hooked onto your gameplay loop and um I would argue Scarlet and Violet is one of the worst examples. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. But I guess they had to do it that way so that you at least went to the Academy to start off your quest for all of the gym badges or whatever. I don't know. I I still think it's a weird decision and I don't really agree with it, but uh, it's what we have to deal with. But then, of course, you finish that part and the world's open and you can actually go do whatever you want. And it's actually kind of (laughs) cool. Yeah. Um. It's a bit obnoxious until you actually get the the upgrade to be able to dash because yeah. you move way too slow. <laughs> I think that was what like was the moment that like shifted it from being a game I wasn't really that interested in to something that was more playable for me. Yeah, honestly, it was a few. I was a few gyms in before I finally like started having like a lot of fun with the game. But being able to actually like dash was <laughs> a godsend because that, wow, uh, you do not move fast. I think they need a dash for the dash in the game, honestly. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> like, you thought your character walked slow at the very beginning, but like the world size just lends to Coridon and Maridon need to move a little bit faster than they currently do. You know, like, I don't know. I get that, you know, you have your games like The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, where you're really bound to Link's running speed or his horse's speed if you have a horse. But it works well in those games because there's tons of stuff to go and explore everywhere and little things to do. Pokemon, the only real, like, uh, things to interact with are the Pokemon spawns that show up around you. 
And a lot of the time I'm not really that interested in them because they're not shiny or I've already caught them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. The majority of the battles are you tripping over them because they are the size of a of an ant in the road. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm I was constantly thinking about the ride Pokemon in Legends Arceus. <clears throat> and it always felt like once you got those ride Pokemon in Arceus, you could move way faster than you could in Scarlet and Violet. Oh yeah. And one of the other nice things about Legends Arceus is that Touching a Pokemon with your body didn't initiate a battle, you know? That was, like, the best thing and honestly one of the most jarring things about Scarlet and Violet coming from Legends Arceus is in (laughs) Scarlet and Violet, it's like, you touch it, you're in a battle. And then sometimes when you run away from the battle, the Pokemon that were around the one that you fought moved to where your character teleported to when the battle started, so you immediately start another battle. And that is a pain in the butt. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I would really like for the system from RCS to come over to the mainline games where the Pokemon can attack you and you have like a health bar as a uh, person, basically. Yeah. Uh, so like touching a Pokemon means that they get like the opportunity to attack you effectively. Whereas uh, if you want to battle them, then you throw your Pokemon out. But yeah, that was one of the things that RCS did really, really, really well was how smooth the transitions were into those battles. and. It was just so weird that Scarlet and Violet didn't have, like, any of that. And honestly, like, the <laughs> the thing that drove me the most crazy about the battling system against wild Pokemon and Scarlet and Violet is, like, you can't just throw a Pokeball at the Pokemon to try and catch them. Even if it's, like, a super low chance or whatever, you have to initiate a battle. It's like, well, what's the point of being able to actually throw my Pokemon out, you know, with the trigger button and the crouch button, like those seemed incredibly worthless to me unless I was trying to start a battle with a Pokemon in the sky. Uh, or if you're doing the shiny stuff where you're trying to kill 60 Pokemon. True. In True. a row. <laughs> <laughs> like there, there's times when I was grinding where it was nice to be able to just throw out the Pokemon and have them auto battle. Yeah, no, like the auto battling is fine. It's like, the fact that I can't sneak up on a Pokemon from behind in, like, the shadows like I could in Legends Arceus, throw a Pokeball and have it actually try catching it. You know, like, right? I would have loved to do that in Scarlet and Violet. I think that that is one of the best things that could happen in an open world Pokemon game. So basically, they need to merge the Legends game with, uh, <laughs> they need to take a lot of ideas from Legends Arceus and put it into the mainline game. Yeah. Legends Arceus had a lot of really good ideas. It's just, it didn't have like everything there to be a complete Pokemon game experience, namely like Pokemon trainer battles, which, uh, (laughs) segueing into Pokemon trainer battles, I am not too happy with how they did Pokemon trainer battles in this game. (laughs) Oh, the fact that you have to talk to them to initiate them. (laughs) So that's fine. Like once I got into the game, um, I think I agree with the design choice that you have to go initiate with them. I would have liked at least a few trainers where like instead of a straight line uh in the old games where they would have like if you walked in this line, then they would approach you have like a, a bubble around them or something. And if you entered into that radius, then they would attack you. But if they're just going to be entirely optional and you get like a reward if you beat so many of them, that's fine. But please 
put more of them in the game <laughs> and uh, make it so that they're a full team of six because it's optional. There's no reason now. There's a- It was already ridiculous uh, in the previous games when trainers only have one or two Pokemon. Now it's absolutely insane. I do not understand. Especially when they're like the high level trainers that are like level 40 or whatever and they still only have two Pokemon. And they're like, I'm trying to be a Pokemon master. And I'm like... <laughs> Then why don't you have six Pokemon? I had six Pokemon before the first gym. (laughs) This was the perfect opportunity because ever since Gen 3, I have wanted a a mainline Pokemon game where every single battle is doubles. And like we've had the Coliseum games and everything, but I want like a, a true like Pokemon game to be all doubles. And this was the perfect opportunity for that. Basically like increase the difficulty of the trainer battles and have there be a bit more stakes. And if you're not ready for a trainer battle, you just don't initiate it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I swear the Pokemon company and game freak are like, why doesn't our competitive scene see more people play it? And it's because the official competitive scene is doubles and the game doesn't teach you how to play doubles at all. Like there are a couple of battles that are doubles, but you don't learn any double strategies. Because there are no double battles anywhere, you know? Yeah, the best is when Pokemon learn the move, like, helping hands or whatever, and it's like, this is useless. Like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would literally only use that in doubles. They <laughs> added a new Pokemon where its ability is only useful in doubles. Right. Uh, what's its name? Godonzo. It's the sushi Pokemon. Yeah, Godonzo and, and, and uh, uh, Tatsugiri, right? Yeah. Like Tatsugiri has commander. It like literally goes inside Dodonzo's mouth and is like, all right, now you're stronger. <laughs> like they kind of fuse together in double battles. It's really cool. And it's like, why on earth would I ever use these Pokemon in singles? I guess Dodonzo is kind of like the Snorlax of the sea. So it has good bulk on its own, but still <laughs> so weird. Like if you're going to give us all these cool doubles features and put doubles in the level up learn set, you need to have more double battles in the game. Game Freak. Yeah, But like, I I mean, I'm still kind of upset with battles in general because all of the major boss fights, like they don't have any sort of scaling or difficulty options besides going off and doing them in the wrong order. Yeah, I will say, though, um, I did enjoy because this is open world. I was able to just run to all these boss fights like way under leveled Um, (laughs) so much so that I was like 20, 25 levels below. (laughs) Um, the gym leaders or the Titans or whatever. And that was pretty fun. I, I actually enjoyed that. I I need to do that for my second playthrough. I was like, for my first playthrough, I wanted to kind of experience it in the order that game freak thought people were going to do it in, I guess. Like somebody had gathered up all of the recommended or maximum level of each boss fight and listed their order. And I kind of followed that order and it was, it was really fun to do it that way. But like I was still over leveled. For every single fight going through that. Yeah, I wasn't overleveled for a single fight in the game. (laughs) (laughs) I think I was level 35 by the time I fought the final battle for the Titan story. Uh, What's his name? They have the dog, the Mastobiff. Yeah. I don't remember his name. Arvin? Arvin, yeah. When I, yeah. (laughs) Where you you fought his trainer battle. (laughs) Yeah, when I fought his trainer battle, he was uh, level 16. I was like in the the mid-30s. It was great. <laughs> and that's fun. I should I should try doing something like that where I push myself for all of these crazy hard levels and whatnot. But that's just not how I played my first playthrough. I don't know. I feel like Scarlet and Violet could have really used a hard mode where 
all of the bosses scaled to your Pokemon level and the gym leaders had more Pokemon. At the very For an least, open world game, that would be good. <laughs> at the very least, make it so the second run of the gym leaders, they're all level 100. I don't understand why they're just level 60. Well, yeah, especially after you beat the game and you have access to all of these, like, items and abilities to grind up your Pokemon to higher levels, they should be level 100 at that point. And have at least teams of, like, full five, which they do have teams of five, right? I don't remember. I don't remember. They should have full teams of six. They should have full teams of six. I agree. Like... This should be them demonstrating their full, like, power as a gym leader. There's no more excuses anymore at this point. Or we make the gym leader rush like the, um, like the battle towers or the, um, battle frontier from, like, Emerald, where the gym leaders and your Pokemon are forced to be the same level, but the AI is way better <laughs> and they actually have items and stuff. You know, even if they don't, Make your Pokemon go up to 100. You know, this could be like a good, that could be a good way to force you to learn how to play against Pokemon that are the same level and why EV training is actually useful and important. Yeah, especially if like the gym leaders are also EV trained and have max IVs or just hyper trained. Right, because it could also be a really good introduction to playing online. You know, if you do all of the um, school stuff, which the school stuff is fine, uh, it's incredibly boring when you sit and mash through all the text and you get very bored and crazy of the um, academy theme if you're there, as long as I was grinding through all of those things to uh, finish those side quests. But anyway, they actually do teach you some really useful things that aren't really explained anywhere in the game. Like Dendra or Deidre, however you say her name, I always forget. She teaches you like what the battle rules are for online. And it's like, okay, great. Thanks for saying those words but nobody is going to remember that unless you actually make it a main mechanic to play in in the story or the post-game story and so i think there's only one double battle and uh well actually i think before you fight here there's a couple more so the sixth gym leader the dark gym the dark gym or the ghost gym yeah the ghost gym was doubles uh which made the ghost gym my favorite gym in the entire game yeah, it was so fun. And they were actually interesting ghost type Pokemon that had some double strategies. It's like why Raihan was my favorite gym leader in Sword and Shield, because he was also doubles and used weather. That was sick. They yeah. need to do more stuff like that with the gym battles. Like, I don't know, especially with an open world game where you get to choose your own difficulty level, essentially, when, you know, if they don't scale up the levels. Anybody that's really struggling with leveling or any of the battles can go off and explore and do something fun, like do a little bit of shiny hunting or gathering materials or anything else, like exploring the region to find items and stuff, and then go back once they've had a couple more levels. You know, they can make the uh, battles harder, I think, in an open world game. Yeah, I think so. Um, Yeah, and if like Elden Ring came out a bit earlier, I think Elden Ring is going to change a lot of like how open world game design is viewed going forward because uh people really enjoyed the fact that you just had like areas that just kind of like stonewalled you unless if you like were either really good at like playing the game or you just went and grinded it out yeah and i think pokemon could learn from that and still be fun for kids to play you know most kids are either going to run around and find their favorite pokemon and then maybe tackle the gyms when they feel like it or they'll sit and grind to blast through the gyms with their starter. You know, like I'm sure most everyone that's played a Pokemon game, especially when they were younger, you know, 
we would have our very first starter. Like in my case, in Pokemon Yellow, I had my Pikachu, and Pikachu was basically the only thing I leveled up, and I would just plow through the gyms with my overleveled Pikachu when I was little. You know, kids can still do that with a slightly harder game, and there are so many opportunities in Scarlet and Violet to level up and grind. Um, in somewhat fun ways. Like you could just watch TV while you have your switch in your hand and use the auto battle feature and get some quick level ups that way. You know, like anyway, I I don't mean to drag on about that, but I do think that they could up the difficulty and it would still be fun for everybody. I think they should also put rare candies in a store so you could just (laughs) buy a bunch of rare candies. Why can't you buy any of the experience candies? Even if they're, (laughs) they can only be bought with like LP or something. Yeah. Uh, it drives me crazy. You have to go and do a whole bunch of raids to grind for them. And if they're worried that people will grind too much, um, they already make it so like Pokemon don't obey you if you don't go over a certain level. I say just put on a hard level cap. Just make it so your Pokemon do not level up any be- anywhere beyond that level until you beat the whatever amount of gym leaders. Like make those level caps be a little bit higher than the well, yeah. gym battle that you'd fight, you know, so but they already are. You can kind of cheese it, but yeah, they are. But yeah, make it so that your Pokemon just refuse to level up. That'd be really fun. And when you catch I mean, Pokemon in the wild, then they're leveled down to that level. I mean, one of the interesting things about the wild Pokemon mechanic is that if the Pokemon is higher level than your level cap, depending on the number of badges that you need to get up to that level cap, the game multiplies the catch rate by 0.8 for every single one of those badges. So if you have zero badges and you want to catch a level 100, it's like 0.16 times the base catch rate. <laughs> like they make it so hard to catch Pokemon above your level cap anyway. Okay. So they have systems like that in place, but they could make it so that it caps the Pokemon level or just straight up makes it so that evolved Pokemon just refuse you. if like they evolve past that level cap or something. I don't know. Anyway, I, I think there are a lot of different ways that they could balance the difficulty better than they did though i do think that scarlet and violet do a pretty good job with the difficulty because some of the levels that you actually fight are the trainers or the gym leaders and whatnot are higher than they were in sword and shield so that's a good step at least i think (laughs) yeah yeah um i was also pretty disappointed with the star bases um (laughs) if you're going to have Oh man, the it was all just based off of like the the auto battling feature, and that was kind of disappointing. <laughs> I wanted like dungeons, basically, right? Like, yeah. we haven't had classic Pokemon dungeons. Uh, did we have them in sixth gen? I, I mean, we had had. like a couple of areas in sixth gen. Like, we had the Pokeball Factory in sixth gen. That was kind of like a base dungeon i think there were a couple but they weren't nearly as intense as we've had since black and white yeah it's been a while um and i miss them (laughs) (laughs) i do too that was one of the things that we were saying with our one of our later earlier episodes about this game is like we were hoping that there would be actual dungeons and real cave systems to explore and there really aren't (laughs) we don't get houses in this game (laughs) no (laughs) you have the open world and you have the main city and that's it. <laughs> they, they didn't want to make many maps. <laughs> no. And the only stores that you can go inside of to load in a new area are the sandwich shops. That's it. 
<laughs> oh, my favorite is when I walk out of a shop and like it drops me because it spawns me like above <laughs> the ground when yeah. leaving the shop. I, I like it when I mash B to get out of the menu and the game like buffers that input for some reason or like accepts the input before the screen t- transition finishes. And so my character is like crouching. <laughs> When I step outside and I'm like, I stopped mashing once I heard the confirm sound. Like, why am I crouching now? Um, and then, of course, there's the wonderful camera bug when you walk out of those shops where if you're like pressing, if you enter the store pressing up, if you press down, the camera repositions to be behind you. So if you're like pressing down because you expect the camera to be in the same place, like with like literally any other menu ever, you walk right back inside. <laughs> And so I'm like, stop walking into these buildings. This is not how it should work, I think. If it if there is no actual building on the inside, it should not work this way. Just remember where my camera is when I when I walk into that store. Yeah. Um the reason why I brought up the the star bases is I feel like there's not enough content in the overworld. And, and you brought this up <laughs> earlier in this episode too. Um you've got the main quests, you've got the Pokemon you can catch. The gimme ghoul quests and the legendary, the four legendary quests. And that's it. That's all the content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> you don't have cool interactions with game mechanics and physics like you do in Zelda or Horizon Zero Dawn or uh, yeah. Elden Ring. Like, <laughs> I feel like so like with those the legendaries or whatever, I felt no interest in looking for the, the stakes, <laughs> the black stakes. Can, can, can I admit something? I don't have a single one of those legendaries yet. Oh, really? I only got them to complete my Pokedex. I touch traded them with somebody else to finish the Pokedex. (laughs) I'm like, maybe one of these days I'll go off and actually catch them. I know that they're pretty good, um, especially the goldfish one. Well, they're banned uh, in VGC, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, for now. (laughs) Until Um, they unlock it anyway. Yeah, no, I I haven't done it. I've probably done maybe five total stakes, and those are just random ones I've come across. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was not too much. It was not a lot of fun looking. I ended up just looking them up online because <laughs> they're they're too much of a pain to look for on their own. And I'm usually someone who enjoys looking for things, so that's not a good sign. Um, <laughs> But I feel like it was a missed opportunity to have those be the equivalent of like shrines in Breath of the Wild. Yes. Oh, yes, Jordan. Please explain what you mean. So have like basically you find like these little entrances to small puzzle dungeons that might have like rare Pokemon inside them, but mostly have like classic Pokemon puzzles, like how we had block puzzles and uh, puzzles with warp pads and everything. And just have like a little bit more content. And at the end you get, you're able to pull out the stake or something Um, just to give a bit more like drive to like actually explore these areas and some excitement Uh, when you find like these doors and you could still hide the doors pretty well. One of the, one, one of my favorite things about fallout is finding vaults, right? Um, and like every open world game kind of has this sort of thing. Zelda has the shrines, uh, horizon zero dawn had uh, the cauldrons. I don't remember what they were called. Um, but they were really fun in that you stumble across them and then see like a door going off into a dungeon and you knew like this is going to be some pretty good content that might also give you some pretty good lore for the world um and you just you just want more incentive to explore around 
I completely agree. It was so weird seeing some of those stakes just kind of like almost unhidden. <laughs> like they looked so out of place. Oh, yeah. And, and some of them are hidden pretty well. Yeah, uh, yeah. But most of them are not. No. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, you'd think that these legendary Pokemon, which I think the fans are terming like the disaster or the grudge Pokemon or something like that. Like they're basically the Pokemon embodiment of like all of the evil emotions and humans, I think <laughs> is a, uh, is kind of their lore and they were sealed away, right? By some of these humans with these really crazy, cool looking doors. They're sealed behind the doors that need to be unlocked by all of these stakes. Why on earth are some of them just sitting out in the open in plain sight they're like <laughs> oh don't worry no one can pull those up unless they have like a strong connection to pokemon or something like that and i'm like you know how many other trainers out there are like me like nimona could probably pick those up <laughs> like why is it that only the player character can do this when instead it could be like a really challenging dungeon or something that nobody really wants to explore but you are going to explore it because you got on the good side of the history teacher. You know, she's the one that kind of tells you about this in the school, but she could be tied to that and have part of the story with it. You know, like they could have extended a lot more of that stuff and done those dungeon things. And that, I think that would have been so good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a disappointment. It could have been a bit more content and, uh, the Gimme Ghoul quest also wasn't that great either. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Gimme Ghouls are really kind of dumb and really easy to find. You know, it's not like Koroks in Zelda. And I know we keep making connections to Zelda, but like, that's another Nintendo open world game. We are allowed to make these comparisons. You know, that game is what, almost five years old now? <laughs> so almost I six. think we can almost six. Oh gosh, Jordan, don't tell me that. <laughs> 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 Tears of the Kingdom comes out soon. We got this. We got this. Uh, yeah, yeah. Tears of the Kingdom comes, uh, what is it, two months after the sixth anniversary? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, you know, with the Koroks, which is kind of the equivalent of the Gimme Ghouls, I guess, <laughs> they were not that obvious. I mean, some of them were, but they were very puzzle-centric to actually get, you know? You had to throw a rock into a, a ring of rocks in the water. You had to find little platforms where you would then have a small little puzzle to shoot arrows at balloons. You'd have to race uh, from one part of the map to another, going through these rings. And you'd have to also do, like, what looks different on this place and, and find that kind of stuff. You know, like... They actually made the Koroks kind of hard to find, and there were so many of them, and you did not need to find them all. And these Gimme Ghouls, you also don't need to find all of them to get the 999 coins, but they're, like, pretty out in the open. You hear their little, or whatever noise they make, it sounds like grumbling, and you just interact with them, and it's just like, okay, here you go. Here, here's yeah. a coin. <laughs> I, I'm fine with the noise that they make. Uh, just alert you that like, hey, there's a, something here. But I feel like they should have been some sort of puzzle like the Koroks. Absolutely. And again, it would have given more content to, to the open yeah. world. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be the running theme here. There's just not enough content. <laughs> yeah. I think the world is designed well. Like, don't get me wrong. I think that there's a lot of really great variety in the Paldea region. But like... The content in the world is just, it's so lacking. <laughs> also, did you know that if you get 999 coins, you cannot get more than that? 
uh, even if you collect more gimme ghouls, it's it, it just will not add more to your number. No, but there is a place where you can go get all of the overflow coins later once you oh, actually evolve okay. a gold. So like go. I got to nine hundred ninety nine, but I was like, I'm going to use these when uh, I get a shiny gimme ghoul or something. Oh, they're shiny locked, by the way. They're shiny locked. So yeah. how, so you can't get a shiny one. Okay. You can't get a shiny one. Plus, the shiny doesn't even look that different. It's like a slightly paler gold, I think, for <laughs> the gold Game Freak do this? I don't know. All this. So so many shinies are bad, but we can talk about that in a minute. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the, the chest, uh, the chest form is shiny locked. Okay, so who knows well, when we'll be able to get a shiny. All right, so I evolved mine and hyper trained it. So <laughs> I guess there's no reason for me to get another one. Yeah. I mean, you could get another one, try resetting for a zero attack or zero speed or something. If you want to do more optimization stuff for but, like yeah. trick room, what what's the advantage to the zero attack just to avoid foul play? Um, is it a low attack Pokemon and high special attack? Yeah. I honestly don't remember its stats. Yeah, so it it's just to minimize the damage you get from foul play, and that's really important for Gimme Ghoul because it's ghost steel. Mm. So because well, foul play is based off of the damaged Pokemon's attack stat. So one of the oh, optimizations yeah. that you do is you minimize that attack stat as much as possible. So I've got some words to say damage. about foul play when it gets competitive. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But that we need a special version of it. <laughs> uh, no, I really love foul play. It's yeah, my no, favorite. It's, a great it's my fa- it's my favorite team right now in competitive. Sweet, I need to play a competitive, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, anyway, gimme goal quest. Kind of wrapping that up. <laughs> I don't care for them, and honestly, I'm part of like this Pokemon automation community where we program our computers to do things for us in the games. And one of our community members wrote a gimme ghoul coin farmer that just constantly like resets the game by changing the date to respawn the gimme ghouls. And then I'll just let that run for like hours and hours to get my 999 <laughs> coins because I don't want to go find gimme ghouls. <laughs> oh man, I found them all. Let me tell you, it was an amazing experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, there aren't even marks on the map to tell you you got that gimme ghoul like in Breath of the Wild, right? <laughs> right. But um, they respawn. So right. my, my strategy was mostly just, is there a tower? Great. I'll climb the tower. And eventually I got 999. Yeah. Because the ones in the tower give you like 50-ish on average. <laughs> I got to say, some of the saddest like TikToks and YouTube clips that I saw from the first week were people going to the um, Pokemart and then like thinking that they were buying Gimme Ghoul coins with leak points, but that machine only sells your stuff. They're like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll buy a hundred of them right now and get me closer. <laughs> and then they were gone out of their inventory. <laughs> oh, no. They're like, they're like, what? I thought that was to buy them. It's like, no, dude, that's to exchange them. You're not exchanging the leak points for the gimme ghoul coins. You're exchanging the gimme ghoul coins for leak points. <laughs> Too <laughs> many people did that. More. <laughs> yeah, go find more. Good luck. <laughs> go get all of the respawns. Anyway, it's nice that they added them. It added a little bit to the game, but again, it was just not as fun to collect them as I would have liked. Yeah. And as much as we've like kind of uh, crapped all over <laughs> the open world aspect of this game, um, I do feel like it added a lot to Pokemon. Oh, part of the absolutely. Reason, part of the reason why I, I ended up enjoying this game is just because of the open world. Just being able to have free roam in a Pokemon game 
it feels like it does so much. <laughs> like coming off of Sword and Shield where it was super linear, you had to follow these paths exactly. There is no deviating path. You have to fight this trainer and, this, and then this trainer, and then that. And then it was just like a walking hallway, basically. Um, <laughs> this, this feels like such a big breath of fresh air. Uh, Legends Arceus might have stolen a bit of its thunder because there are aspects that Arceus did better, but Arceus wasn't a full open world. It was an open zone. Right. I, I agree with all of that, honestly. I, I do think that the open world added so much to Pokemon, and I honestly hope that we, the mainline games at least, never go back to how they were because it's just so much more fun to go off and do things. But there are so many things that could be refined about the open world. Give us more content, etc. I think that, so like the big main big budget games or whatever, uh, continue on with this open world approach, right? But yeah. I'm not opposed to the idea of having like some nostalgia titles in the future where they're designed to be sprite based traditional Pokemon games going forward as well. Oh, could you imagine if they did that? Like yeah. like Square Enix has done with uh, Triangle with Strategy and yeah. Octopath. Oh, yeah, something like that. Something to like. It's a new area, a new region, but it's like designed in the old style, and it might not be as long or whatever. It might be not be a full region or whatever, but it's it's something. Uh, it, like every other Nintendo franchise, they have like their three D line and then their two D line. So why can't Pokemon? Well, because Game Freak doesn't have enough time. Well, well so here, here's my other thing. Why can't Game Freak just do the 2D ones and we give the 3D games to a different studio? <laughs> I mean, that might be a good idea in the long run. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was actually my real evil okay. plan about this whole like pitch. But. <laughs> Game Freak, go back to what you were doing. But... I will also say that Scarlet and Violet and even Legends Arceus to a degree honestly mark a transition at Game Freak, I think. Um, based on all of the new things that they're exploring and trying out, it really feels like Scarlet and Violet is the first set of games where the old developers are stepping down and are going to those more senior roles like we've seen them do. And we're getting the newer developers with fresher ideas and a more interesting take. I just don't think they have enough time to pull off what they want to do. Yeah. And so I'm really hopeful that the future of Pokemon continues in this direction where we get like really cool open worlds, at least for the you know main big titles. But, you know, if we get a black and white remake, I don't want the um the region to be 3d necessarily or like i mean an open world i think like black and white remakes should go back to that sprite style because that was one of the coolest things on the 3ds was seeing those kind of 3d environments but with all the sprites everywhere and it just works so well and seeing that in hd and like the style like octopath traveler would just be so incredible um you know, and they don't even have to apply to the remakes, like you said. They could be spin-off titles that explore other aspects of Pokemon, and it, it would still be super cool. Either way, I think we have definitely entered a new era for Pokemon. You know, a lot of people say every generation is a new era for Pokemon, but I really think that Scarlet and Violet is the new era. And additionally, what kind of confirms that to me is how the Pokemon anime is stepping away from Ash, finally, after 20-something years. Yeah, so, they finally made him the world champion and are moving to new characters, which good for anime watchers, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it just really feels like the Pokemon company is pushing Pokemon into a new direction. And I'm excited to see where that goes. And I hope that it's in a better place than Scarlet and Violet from a content and performance standpoint. <laughs> <laughs> and they were trying new things. So, yeah. like, I have to give them some. I have to be a bit lenient on it all, uh, especially considering how rushed these games are. Just, oh, yeah. I wish <laughs> Nintendo would give a proper budget, um, proper development time, and maybe uh, change up some of that, the upper, yeah. some, some of the head management people well i don't think it's a budget problem i think it's purely a time problem because the credits list more people working on this game than worked on breath of the wild and it's by like a huge margin i don't have the exact numbers off of my head um what seems to be happening considering the size that game freak is is that game freak has to send work out to independent contractors and other studios to handle the bits and pieces that they can't get done in time um, from what I understand, like the whole UI system in the game and like the map and all of the menus and stuff that had to be done away from Game Freak. So Game Freak could work on other things. So, yeah, I think it's clear that they have the money. They just don't have the time. <laughs> you can definitely feel it because it does feel pretty spaghetti code. Like I haven't yeah. <laughs> even seen the code and I, I can smell the code stench. <laughs> <laughs> You're like my switch is struggling with this. I, I can tell yeah, something's wrong. <laughs> it really shouldn't. Like this is not the most ambitious game on the switch. No, definitely not. Uh, but anyway, I, I do agree with you there. I, I hope that future games get more time and maybe with leaving Ash catch him behind the gap between generations might increase a little bit. And I think it should. Yeah. Anyway, um, I kind of wanted to talk for a few minutes about the story, Jordan. We didn't really talk too much about that. We don't have to go into all the details, <laughs> of course. But uh, what did you think? Did you like the story in this game? Uh, so um, I really like Demona. I think she's probably my favorite rival in Pokemon. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> she's basically Goku. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> She's sandbagging the whole time. I wish her team was a bit better, but um, I think she was a fun cast member to have around, especially in the last act with in Area Zero. Oh yeah, um, I ended up liking Clive, the director or whatever. Um, yeah, in the Team Star story, I did not care at all for any of the Team Star members. Um, I did not like Penny. Like <laughs> the more and more we got presented with Penny's character, the more I just did not like her. She's just. <laughs> i don't know man um especially in area zero she like has a complete like character like turnaround out of nowhere where she's just kind of like mean for no reason uh to Nimona. yeah especially considering how her whole arc during the star path was like i love these guys i'm just trying to do what's best for them and then she's just like obnoxious and awful to the other two <laughs> And then like, she doesn't okay. get any like punishment for <laughs> like even just stealing money. Like. I know they're like, you're going to work for us now. And that's it. <laughs> I also yeah. think it was a missed opportunity to uh, give us two new evolutions to put on her team. So I that know, she, right? So that she had an EV for each of the star members. Right. So we should have gotten a poison and a fighting type EV and had them yep. be on her team. I, I think that would have been super cool. Why they didn't do that. I don't know. <laughs> They could have at least like matched the star teams to evolutions. Like if they weren't going to do that, swap out the fighting type and the uh, poison type. Yeah. Made Although, did you notice? Instead. So if you take all the gym leaders, all the star 
members and then all the elite four. Each one cor- or corresponds to a different Pokemon type. And the yeah. only type that is missing is rock. I wonder why. Because <laughs> <laughs> they decided they hate rock. Uh, the, the marquee, like rock Pokemon, cloth is already being used, but I guess they could have yeah. used uh, the Minecraft Pokemon. True. The Star Path was definitely the weakest, I think, out oh, yeah. of the three. <laughs> Star Path was an A button master. I was so done with it. <laughs> like, I liked uh, how the story ended up resolving, like how the Star bosses ended up coming together and being like, you know what? We're actually kind of cool people. We're not actually evil. It was kind of cool to see their growth. But then it was really weird how Penny completely shifted. Um, I kind of like Penny in a lot of ways, but I feel like her writing could have been much better, like you were saying. Um, the Titan path was really quite fun and really emotional for me. Like, yeah, you know, I, I had a dog that got really sick and unfortunately we had to put her down um, not too long ago. So it like really hit home. In a lot of ways, like, oh, Arvin just wants his dog to feel better. And it was really cute. And Arvin has a really great storyline. Um, <clears throat> I do think that there's a missing piece, though, in Arvin's character development. He, like, suddenly just forgives his uh, professor parent. <laughs> like, just like, oh, I get it. I get it. It's all good. I just want to learn more about them now. When before he was like, they hate me. They abandoned me. I think that there could have been a little bit more especially since he didn't really get to interact with the AI and learn what Sada and Toro were like. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they're so I I'll be honest. I wasn't too interested in most of the story aside from the Titan. The Titan path was cute. Um, but aside, until we got to the area zero zero, I really was not that interested in the yeah, story. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, the gym path doesn't have a story. It's like, Nimona's like, get strong so I can fight you. And you're like, all right, sounds good. I like you. You're fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you get to Area Zero, and they start actually having real plot twists and character growth. Oh, and like, for real. <laughs> <laughs> and it just comes out of nowhere. It's like, oh, we're, we're actually a story-centric game. It's like, oh, where, where was this the rest of the game? <laughs> I know, right? I was finally like, oh, so this is why they didn't talk about it at all in any of the trailers. They're like, there are four paths, but they only talked about three. It's like, ah, the fourth path is the area zero path. And it was good. <laughs> like, can we have more of this in Pokemon again? Like some of the strongest storytelling in Pokemon since uh, black and white X and Y had some really great stuff, but it got bogged down by a lot of text, but like it was some really fun, interesting things. And I'm like, that's right. I missed this in Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. And on so top of cool. that, this is like one of the first instances where you had like a major section of the game where you had a companion character. Oh. Um, I feel like they could probably do that in the future. So like Nimona's character probably would have worked better as a companion throughout the entire oh, game. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I a hundred percent agree. If she had hung out with you, like the whole game, that would have been so cool. Like, and they could have had a lot of opportunities for her to really grow as a friend with you. And yeah. I think that would have worked incredibly well. Rather than her just deciding that we're friends from the start. And <laughs> <laughs> that's the entire growth. Yeah, I mean, she could have had that, like, you you know what, you're interesting, let me show you the ropes, and as you, like, go off and do a couple of gym badges, she ends up liking you more and more, and you become better and better friends. You know, even if the main character never gets to say a line of dialogue, you can still do storytelling like that. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, the Area Zero definitely... So, you asked me in an earlier podcast if Pokemon should have... uh, 
voice acting and I kind of gave a lukewarm answer of like, I'm not <laughs> too concerned about it or whatever. Um, area zero made me change that answer to a definite. Yes. Holy. <laughs> I think that was not fun. Uh, that they would just throw text boxes at you that you couldn't have like any control over. I know. <laughs> If they had at least been talking and I had heard their actual voices, it would have been like, yeah, cool. But instead, it's like I either am going to continue walking and miss a whole bunch of things and have to look down at the bottom of my screen while I'm walking, or I'm going to stand still and just read it because I want to know the story. I ended up opting for the second option of just like, all right, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and see what they have to say, because a lot of it was fun banter and whatnot and i enjoyed that kind of stuff but i was just like man i could have gotten to the bottom of this area probably 20 minutes ago if they had just said what they were uh, putting on screen i ended up in a situation where my lead pokemon got frozen and was set to six hp um (laughs) and that was when they decided to have a giant dialogue tree and i couldn't open my menu because they were in like because when they are talking uh your menu button is turned off yeah, which so I guess like, that works for like consistency <laughs> reasons, but yeah, I can see why that would be annoying. <laughs> that was very annoying. It's like I can't, uh, I can't unfreeze my Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, we need voice acting in Pokemon like desperately now. If they're going to go this open world direction, they're going to have good character growth and development. Character voice acting would be so good. Um, I don't know if you've seen, but there was like a little mini fan project that was released on YouTube by a couple of more amateur voice actors. You know, none of the like super famous video game voice actors or whatever, but they did a really great job and it really drove home how much more interesting the story would be with voice acting. I should, I'll send you that clip if I can find it. I just feel like it's time for Pokemon at this point. (laughs) If they're going to try and be like, if they're going to try to actually have a bit more of a focus on story going forward. They definitely need voice acting, especially since (laughs) the games are like targeted towards kids and not like, like the, the demographics for these games uh, do go down to the age where they don't, they're not really good at reading yet. Yeah. Well, and if these characters are going to return in the Pokemon anime, they could just, hire the same voice actors for that i think like i know it's different voice acting for a video game than voice acting for animated television but like they could have that kind of consistency and it would be a really fun way to kind of do that cross promotion and make sure things are consistent i don't know <sighs> i wish i wish they just of course didn't have the time so whatever but uh beyond that i think the story overall was pretty solid um I don't think it was absolutely incredibly blow my socks off, but Area Zero, like, I fell in love with Paldea when I walked into Area Zero and I wanted to know more about the region. And I'm really excited for the DLC because there are so many ways that the DLC could go. And I have so many theories and we could do a whole episode on all of the theories about the DLC. (laughs) I feel like I wish there was a bit more focus on Area Zero or whatever, where like as you progress the game, uh, you are able to delve deeper into the crater, um, or something. Like I feel like it could have been interweaven a bit more into the main story, and then have like some sort of like character growth with Arvin and coming to um the point of forgiveness with their parent. But um. I don't know. It feels a bit tacked on, but it was also kind of the best part of the game. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you saying that you'd like it to be more like um, Phantom Hourglass? Not to that extent. <laughs> like have fly zones or whatever so that you like 
can fly back to where you were and you just okay. continue on. Don't make but, me redo the same thing over and over again. <laughs> yeah, Phantom Hourglass was a little too unforgiving regarding that. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, all in all, I think it was a really fun story. I'm excited to see where the DLC goes. Uh, one quick theory is, you know, everyone's point, pointing out the connections to Kalos. I really think that Area Zero is the result of AZ's weapon from Kalos. Mm. Like that the crater is where the weapon hit. The crystalline structures look very similar between the uh, Terra crystals and the mega crystal energy from his weapon in X and Y. And I also don't think that the paradox Pokemon are actually from the past and future. I think that the machine created the Pokemon based on the professor's imagination. Yeah. Those are my big theories. At the same time, though, wouldn't that mean that there'd be megastones everywhere? Well, not necessarily because <laughs> like the megastones were the result of the energy from the cannon and the energy that was shot was actually just the energy of Pokemon life, which is why, um, Floet left AZ is because AZ used the weapon and Floet was like, you're using Pokemon energy to do this effectively, like killing Pokemon or shortening their lifespans. So it's possible that that Pokemon energy turned into a different type of crystal reacting to something that was already in Paldea. Um, there is this one page in the Scarlet and Violet book where Heath had this crazy dream about like a disc Pokemon with all sorts of like helix patterns everywhere or not helix, um, like hexagon patterns. And so it's possible that that Pokemon absorbed some of that energy as well and is like the reason for the Terra terrestrialization. And it's because of AZ. I mean, it kind of fits because AZ, Area Zero, the initials work out, the crystals look the same. And anyway, I could kind of go on. I've, I've thought a lot about this. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably know pretty soon here um, because usually Pokemon announces their DLC pack in January, the, game, the, the January after the game releases. Yeah, keep the people that got it for Christmas interested, too. <laughs> yeah, so it'll probably be announced. I believe Sword and Shields DLC was announced January 8th. Uh, of that I don't year. remember. I, I was I was reading someone talking about it like right. Ah, cool. It's not like I I kept <laughs> you pulled that number that day out of your brain like from the yeah. depths. I remember this. Part. I remember. Back. I was there when it was written. <laughs> um. So we'll, we'll have to see. Well, I think we'll do an episode or something. At least some sort of discussion. Maybe half an episode talking about that DLC announcement and. We'll see. Maybe they'll also patch the game to run better at that point. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> they did doubt. do that one patch that uh, fixed all frame rate issues, right? Right? Yeah, every single one of them. Just kidding, <laughs> not a single one. <laughs> oh, I thought it did fix it and that the, the that Game Freak just intended for the game to be at five frames per second. I thought that was the intention. <laughs> Instead of four and a half? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, we've harped on the graphics and the performance, and so has everyone else out there. I mean, I just want to put out there that, yes, memory leaks are a problem, but it's obvious that the biggest culprit is game optimization. You know, one of the things when it comes to computer programming is that you do need to spend a lot of time making all of your functions and all of the math that the game is doing run fast. If you don't manage to get everything that needs to be calculated within a single frame, your game will slow down and stutter. And that's just what's happening here. Um, the memory leaks are an issue. You know, you let the game run too long. Things start stop loading. Things don't load nearly as fast. The game will eventually crash. That is absolutely a problem that needs to be addressed. But most of the frame problems are because... 
the game isn't optimized and the switch is too slow. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't think the switch is entirely the problem because we've had so many bigger and more ambitious games run on the switch. It's just that optimization thing with the games running on the switch's hardware because people are emulating the games at 60 FPS on their computers. But that's like, you know, their computers run like what? 40 times faster, if not more than the switch. Oh, probably way, <laughs> way more, more than that. <laughs> <laughs> What's the switches clock rate? I think it's in like the megahertz, like 800 megahertz or something I don't like remember. that. Um, it is a mobile device, though. Compared, comparing that to a tower is pretty unfair. Yeah. So anyway, it will take a lot for the games to actually run really well and look really good. And I just don't think that's going to happen in the lifetime of the of the games. So, oh, well. So I do <laughs> want to quickly touch on. Uh, so like we've already had a bunch of episodes talking about performance issues. Uh, so I don't want to get to the specifics but would you say that the performance issues kind of like negatively impacted your enjoyment of the game <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely especially around big bodies of water the lake area <laughs> is unbearable yeah i'm currently shiny hunting a vaporeon and it is <laughs> yeah so fun so fun <laughs> i mean we talked about earlier how you need more content in these games and that would have made it more fun in general even with the bad performance but like I literally did not want to play these games for the first few days because I was so focused on the performance and the first part of the game is really slow and boring. Yeah. I personally find the game unplayable in handheld mode. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I, I, I have to play it docked. <laughs> the resolution <laughs> and the, the frame rates are just, it gives me a headache. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got some headaches playing the game. Even, in docked on like my monitor i there were times where i was like i have to take a break from this game <laughs> to answer your question yes it definitely negatively impacted my view of the game <laughs> my view of the fun of the game um but on a more positive note you know the music was really good in the game so was some of the sound design uh did you like some of the music did you did you find it more enjoyable than sword and shield oh yes <laughs> uh almost every aspect of this game i enjoy more than sword and shield <laughs> okay, this is okay. just cementing sword and shield as my least favorite game in the pokemon so, series so that, that wasn't a fair question to ask yes. <laughs> <laughs> um how how does the music in this game rank against the other pokemon games I mean, you and I have both said that Gen 4 probably has the best music in the series, even though we both prefer Gen 3's music. Um, yeah. Where do you think Scarlet and Violet's soundtrack lands for you? I think that it ranks on the lower end for me, honestly. Oh. It's a bit too synthy. Like, it has a lot of synth in instruments. Um, and I prefer the horns and trumpets. <laughs> you, you want more real sounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will say there's some bangers. I really like Penny's theme, uh, specifically yeah. her final battle theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good um, one. I like the Star Captain's themes uh, when you're fighting them. Uh, yep. Your parents' theme when you fight the AI or whatever is pretty good. There's a bunch of, like, good music that... I listen to in my free time now. Um, yeah, <laughs> me too. But I wish there was more variety in the open world area. It was, yeah. it got to be a bit much. I was really surprised that the open world only really used the melody from the Academy, which Toby Fox admitted that he wrote, you know, it's a great melody, but I got really soured to that song when I spent so much time in the Academy working on like the initial, um, 
right? I guess like the first four rounds of all of the classes that I was like, I don't ever want to hear this song again. And then it's like, oh, dang it, out in the world, it's the same melody, just rearranged. <laughs> I'm like, why is it the same song everywhere? It's a good melody, don't get me wrong. I think the arrangement's also really wonderful. But like, a little bit more variety in the world would have been nice. In past Pokemon games, we got a new theme like every single route. Yeah. Really surprised they didn't do something like that for these open world games. Especially in an open world game where you have music constantly. You know, Breath of the Wild did its minimalistic style, but Scarlet and Violet was like, we're going to have music everywhere. <laughs> I feel like every area should have had its own uh, track to it. Just so that like you could also like tell that you're in a different area. <laughs> like... It's pretty difficult, actually, to tell when you yeah. transition to another area. Like, you get the one, like, message, and that's it. And, it, well, and then no. the message is really unhelpful, because it's like, northern, northwestern area number four. Like, yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> Go back to routes, please. <laughs> yeah. I don't care if you just name the paths that are in this region. Like, the, the region is named after the path, like the routes are. Like, come on. But, yeah... I would probably rate the music kind of middle of the road uh, amongst all of the games. There are quite a few games where I like the whole soundtracks more, but the soundtrack is really good in these games too, I think. I just would have liked a lot more variety, but I have to admit that Area Zero and its various music, like the battle themes from both the AI battle and even just Wild Pokemon battle, those songs are so freaking cool. I know you're not a fan of the synth stuff, but like... I ate those songs up. <laughs> they are awesome. Beyond that, the rest of the sound direction I think is pretty good. Um, though I do really miss the whistle sound when you throw a Pokeball and it goes for a crit catch. I miss that. Yeah. It doesn't play anymore. <laughs> yeah. I would say that Legends of RCS, once again, I think Legends of RCS releasing earlier this year kind of hurts my <laughs> impression of this game. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is not what I was expecting to say uh, before RCS came out. But RCS nailed sound design really well, with, especially with Pokeballs. Oh, yeah. The Pokeballs sounded like they had weight. The items that you threw sounded really great. Yeah. Well, and even music from Arceus, like, yeah, sure, a lot of it's pretty simplistic, but it works really well for an open zone game. And each area was unique, which was super cool. And also Jubilife Village. Oh, it's theme. That that song gets me emotional because it's like the song progresses as you go through the game. It gets like better and better with more instrumentation, and it eventually adds in the original Jubilife melody. And I just, oh, so good. But that, that's a total aside. <laughs> I think I think Arceus nailed the sound design pretty, pretty darn well. And as we always complain about, I at least think we've brought this up before. It would be really nice if Pokemon made more sounds than just their cry or variations of their cries. Or at least update them. Yeah. Some <laughs> of them still sound like they're on a Game Boy. <laughs> like Pikachu <laughs> or whatever the sound is. You're like, what is that? <laughs> I am surprised that they don't have it scream Pikachu at this. They point. got rid of that in Legends Arceus. Oh, it they used did? to. Yeah. It was in Sword and Shield and uh, Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee, and then they got rid of it in Legends Arceus, and they haven't brought it back for some reason. Same with Eevee. Eevee used to say "Hey, boy" last generation, and now it doesn't again. So weird stuff. Weird decisions. Anyway, I think we're now at the part, Jordan, where you can talk about some of the competitive stuff that you wanted. <laughs> you were alluding to earlier. I am really enjoying this competitive season. Uh, I am not that great of a player, but 
I have been really enjoying watching a lot of like pros play. Um, I think this is so far one of my favorite uh, seasons of competitive I've seen in a long time, honestly. Uh, I know a lot of people really liked Sword and Shields seasons because uh, Gigamax or whatever it was called um, had a lot of depth to the strategy to it. But personally, I feel like Terra has a lot more depth oh, to it. Absolutely. <laughs> You would not have to worry about 18 possible types that your opponent could Terra any one of their Pokemon into. <laughs> yeah, so there's just a lot more. There's been a lot of debate of whether or not um, basically everyone should have full knowledge, like when entering like these tournaments, that should have full knowledge of their opponent's teams. So basically just knowing like what Terra types they each Pokemon can turn into. But even if your opponent knows uh, what every Terra type your Pokemon is, you still have like six different options to like switch into uh, for your Terra. So you your opponent doesn't know which Pokemon you're going to choose to ter- terrestrialize. Um, and even then it just like makes so many different like builds for Pokemon. Um, it doesn't make it so that there's always just like one correct answer. Do you choose to make your Pokemon be more defensive or offensive with their Terra types or whatever? Yeah. And which different direction do you go with uh, your defensive approach? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think there's a lot of awesome depth in competitive right now. And one of the best things that Sword and Shield did for competitive, at least, like, is Dexit. <laughs> like, I know we all hate Dexit. I am not a fan of Dexit either. Like, the fact that I cannot have every single Pokemon in the game still really hurts me, even in Scarlet and Violet, even though we don't have home functionality yet. But, like, it just goes to show you that the Pokemon metagame is so much more interesting when there's a much more limited pool of Pokemon, and that pool of Pokemon can cycle in and out. I remember the early days of Sword and Shield VGC was incredibly fun because Pokemon from, like, Gen 5 got to shine again because they were all outclassed by Gen 6 and 7 Pokemon. Um, And now we get to see a lot of that same stuff happening with um, Scarlet and Violet. Though a lot of the top Pokemon right now in Scarlet and Violet are new Pokemon, which is also super cool to see that like some of the top players are new things introduced this gen, even with this more limited pool. I just think that it's just so much more interesting to play and watch VGC when there are these like essentially ban lists or pools that you can choose from because it just makes the strategy much more interesting rather than everyone's running Zacian and Kyogre. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, although I will say Sword and Shield kind of like devolved into um, just the the sword <laughs> the <Yeah>. legendaries. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Part of the reason why this season is so good is uh, the legends aren't legal and neither are the Paradox Pokemon. Um, I am terrified of what will happen when the, <laughs> the Paradox Pokemon become oh legal because they <laughs> all synergize off of each other. And it, uh, uh. Some of them are monsters. Fluttermane is insane. Yeah. <laughs> Like, so many of the Paradox Pokemon have already been banned from, like, Smoggins tier lists for, like, singles online. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And also, the the four legends are also pretty good, too. So Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll enjoy it while it lasts for now. <laughs> they nerfed Zacian a little bit. <laughs> I mean, Zacian's it, a, not in the game now. Well, it's in the game, but it it's not in the game. But it will be in the game eventually. So, um. But anyway, I just wanted to say they, they've nerfed it. So when that does show up in VGC, it'll be a little bit easier to handle. Yeah. And I, I, I've i said this like time and time again. I personally prefer VGC metas that are not 
super legendary heavy. Yeah. Um, honestly, if they could just keep things going where the legends are banned, like you can have legends on like friendlies, but for the tournament competitive play, we're, we're just not bothering with them. Um, I'd be very happy. And then like to keep things fresh and interesting, we'll have raid events where we bring in other Pokemon that we think could shake up the meta, but aren't legendaries, like how we got Charizard a little while ago and how we're getting Cinderace um, next month. Yeah. It'll be very interesting. (laughs) <laughs> they definitely have the ability to keep things interesting without legendaries. Um, and they can shake up the meta, but I, yeah, I also hope that Maridon is banned forever. <laughs> well, Maridon is the new Zacian as well. <laughs> well, Karidon too, but Maridon also like Maridon is apparently incredibly busted with its move pool and its ability. So yeah. Um, mostly because, <laughs> so the ride Pokemon, <laughs> they, they just, Oh man. So I think, so are we more afraid of Maridon than Crydon? Cause Crydon effectively has super sunny day. Yes. But from what I understand it, people are more afraid of Maridon than they are of Crydon right now. Is <sighs> Maridon the first like entry electric terrain setter that we've ever seen? No, we've had Tapu Coco. Okay. Cause that's like the big like concern with these two legends is it's, <laughs> we learned with Kyogre and Groudon that, um, legends that set terrains, uh, on entry <laughs> are really powerful and make for not super interesting metas because then you have to start running like the opposite legend <laughs> to turn off there. Yeah. But the problem with Coridon and Maridon is Coridon's is a weather effect, but Maridon is a terrain effect. Uh, so they can both coexist. You can't override it. So maybe some grassy surge setters will be the counter for Maridon or something. I don't know. Like, it, it's going to be really interesting. But we don't have to worry about that right now. We can take a <laughs> deep breath and Not just play with January. the Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will Though say. They didn't add legendaries to Sword and Shield VGC until like a year after the games came out. So okay. we have quite a while. That's good. I hope uh, it goes on for longer than that. <laughs> well, and then they'll add in um, like non-restricted legendaries, which is like everything but the box arts. And then they'll add in the restricted legendaries. But even then with Sword and Shield, they only let you have like one legendary Pokemon on your team at first. Then they let you have only one restricted. And then it wasn't until the end of Sword and Shield's life where they were like, yeah, you can you can bring whatever the hell you want. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we have some time. That's all I'm saying. Um, we are currently seeing the terror of Dodonzo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, and Goldengo. Yeah. In a lot of places. Goldengo, I think is a lot more terrifying. The Dodonzo kind of just like crumbles to prankster Murkrow, which is why Murkrow is actually really good right now. Right. With, uh, with tailwind. <laughs> yeah. Tailwind, haze, and, um, it's also a good foul play user for the foul play teams, which yeah. aren't, used too often right now but i think are really interesting because you can pair it up with scovillian which has the move um spice up or spicy extract where target pokemon uh gains two stages of attack and loses two stages of defense so if you pair that up with foul play you basically can start one-shotting things (laughs) <laughs> yeah wow <laughs> i really like that that's the team i'm running i think it's a lot of fun <laughs> and that sounds like your play style <laughs> yeah and on top of that um they added like n- new items that make it so like pokemon can't have a uh, negative 
uh, stat debuffs or whatever, right? So intimidate won't work on them. Uh, it's the clear amulet. And right, so you can put right. that onto like your scissor or whatever. So if you throw out scissor and scovillian, you can have scissor, uh, sword stance and scovillian, uh, do the spicy extract and scissor will take the, the attack boost, but not the defense, uh, <laughs> reduction. <laughs> so you get like two sword stances in one turn and then you yeah, can start. Cool. Then you could try slices or into a steel type and then just start uh, metal punching things out of existence. Like, oh man, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> That's super cool. I really need to get into the VGC scene. I played quite a bit of VGC in Sword and Shield. I just haven't with Scarlet and Violet because I've been playing Splatoon. <laughs> That's my competitive game right now. Um, so anyway, I, I think that the VGC and competitive scene are going to be really healthy for a long time. I will say it is really sad seeing the games go from a gigantic stadium filled with players to the schoolyard for the matches. (laughs) Yeah. I was so disappointed when I saw that. Like, really? We can't even, like, go anywhere else? Like, come on. (laughs) Uh, Oh, well. Beyond that, there's also the fun mechanic of the uh, terror raids. I think those are actually pretty fun, um, especially the really hard ones with like seven stars. Um, you actually need to strategize for the raid system in this game. Unlike in Sword and Shield, or just like, eh, just hit it hard with whatever move. Um, yeah. The raids now, um, because they're more like real time, not super turn based, actually require strategy. You know, so many people are running Azumarill with Belly Drum and doing all sorts of fun stuff with that. Other people are running iron hands with belly drum and you've got like all of these other types of Pokemon that are just being optimized for the raids. And it's just fun to see people do this kind of stuff. It reminds me a lot of Pokemon go trying to pick the right Pokemon to take out a raid boss, except it's honestly more fun than the raid system in Pokemon go. By I will say um, one of the most tragic raids I was in we were against i think a level six umbreon and everyone brought in iron hands everyone belly drummed and then it just started foul playing us all the time <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> well and iron hands is fighting electric so it's not like it resists dark type that either <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> uh, it was a massacre it was so bad <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> Uh, well, see, I did the Charizard raid, you know, which was Dragon Terra type, and I took in a Sylveon that I trained in with like a couple of other people, but I didn't realize that the Sylveon that I had caught, it was actually an Eevee from a Terra raid that was bug type. <laughs> so I was going for the strategy with like Pixelate Hyper Voice and going to Terra into Fairy type, and I was like, this is going to be great. And then I was like, oh shoot, I'm bug type. <laughs> so I didn't get any of the bonuses, really we still won but it was like oh i made this way harder especially since charizard had fire type moves (laughs) that i was then weak against (laughs) Uh, it was pretty funny yeah i i enjoyed the raids um my biggest issue with them is the quest board sucks (laughs) yes oh oh easily trying to find raids to play with other people is so weird and like Sword and Shields wasn't perfect, but it was better, even though it was still awful. (laughs) Like, that feed, you could at least refresh it constantly. You can't refresh it in this game for some reason. Yeah, and I keep trying to enter into one of the raids, and it's like communicating for like 
a whole minute and it's like ah we wasn't able to communicate <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then it doesn't refresh it or anything it's like it's so hard to get into a match i know it's super dumb so really there are a lot of improvements that could have been done yeah. yes yeah but whatever i still think they're fun and you know like we alluded to earlier with competitive it's a really fun way to add in the pokemon that are in the base game but aren't available for catching Especially since we're finally getting Cinderace in a Pokeball that isn't Pokeballs. You know, you can catch it with whatever you want. So that's really fun. I'll probably catch one in a Beast Ball and start breeding it up for a shiny or something. Love my Baltism. But speaking of shinies, I am still incredibly pissed that we do not have the shiny sparkle or any sort of sound effect that there are shinies on the field. It feels like an oversight to me. (laughs) And I am so surprised that it's not there. I guarantee I have walked past a dozen shinies at this point. I probably have, but I try not to think about it. Because, <laughs> like, every shiny that I've found, I have found without, like, realizing it was a shiny. So I found a um, a Spolive um, oh. that attacked me. <laughs> oh, well, that's nice. That's it. And it was, they then had the sparkle. I'm like, oh, okay, this is the shiny. Uh, I guess I'll catch it. And then I got a Weavile that I didn't realize was shiny until after I'd caught it. Oh, (laughs) it was totally like pink, though, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Yeah, I just wasn't paying attention. It's like, cool, Weavile. Nice. Wait a minute. That's a different color. Wait, is that a shiny icon next to its summary screen? Yeah. Um, I did hunt a Braviary uh, and got that one. And that's that cool. is all of my shinies so far. Yeah, I've been using some automation stuff. We've been getting some shiny terror raids. So that's where most of my shinies are from. Makes I've especially focused on like the ones that don't look any different because this game is so bad with shiny designs in a lot of ways. Like why on earth are Tandemouse and Mousehold the same color? <laughs> like they're just not even that different of a white And then there are all sorts of Pokemon that you're just like, why did they pick these colors for the shiny? Especially since there's no sparkly sound effect in the overworld. So you can't tell the difference when you're walking around. But hey, whatever. Some of the shinies are super sick. I can't wait for shiny Coridon distribution. Have you seen it shiny? I have not. Oh my gosh. It's so cool. It's like pure black and white. It's so cool. (laughs) I love it. But uh, anyway, um, I've also been using my automation tools to automatically get eggs for me. I have the full Sprigatito line now that's shiny. And also, I'm two-thirds of the way done with the Quaxley line. So that's fun. So you're getting like a National Dex and shiny? I mean, I'm trying to. I I want to have a shiny living Dex. All right, I'll take uh, your extras. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, see, Jordan, here's the thing. You can get shiny so easily with a hacked 3DS and RNG manipulation. You're not even like injecting shiny Pokemon or anything. You can just use the 3DS to manipulate the frame that the egg is generated on. And you can guarantee it to be shiny because you know exactly all of the information about the RNG state. And every somebody, some people have done the math to figure it all out. So, like, that's where quite a few of my shinies have come from. <laughs> Same with the, the Sword and Shield raids. That RNG was incredibly easy. And then for whatever reason, they decided for Scarlet and Violet, probably because they saw all of the RNG manipulators and were like, you know what? We don't want that to happen anymore. So, like, every single call for generating a Pokemon calls the Switch's um, CryptoSecure RNG function so we can't manipulate any of it. <laughs> ah, so that's why the frame rate in the game is bad. 
Probably. <laughs> if we're waiting on OS calls all the time as it's generating new Pokemon. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> like, it literally calls, like, get cryptographically secure seed from, like, the Nintendo Switch operating system. Like, it's ridiculous. <sighs> Whatever. If that's what they had to do to get us to stop manipulating the RNG, then I guess we deserve it. But anyway, I, I think that there are some really great shinies this generation. I like a lot of the Paradox Pokemon shinies. The Chrome Silver is cool, and a lot of the Iron Future Paradoxes. And Coridon and Maridon are great. Also, Tinkaton Shiny, even though her body is the same color, her hammer is the same color as Shiny Corviknight. <laughs> so it's like, oh, she's been hunting Shiny Corviknights. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so yeah, um, before we wrap up, just wanted to ask, uh, what were your favorite Pokemon this generation? Oh, good question. Um, my number one favorite is Tinkaton. I freaking love Tinkaton a heck of a lot. I think that she's a great design, great little character lore, and just really fun all around Pokemon. I think Knacklestack is also super cool designed. I had one on my team, you know, the blocky Minecrafty stone Pokemon. I thought that was really cool. Um, I really like, um, Cerulege. I think Cerulege is really cool. Um, Coridon really grew on me um, as I played through it through the game. Um, and then I also really like Meowskarta. I think that those are probably my top five. Okay. Okay. Uh, my favorite is Annihilate by a long shot. <laughs> like, oh, it's so it's cool. So, so good. I love it so much. That was basically my main Pokemon throughout the entire game once I, once I got one. Um, I already really liked Primate all the way back since Gen 1. Yeah. Uh, so the fact that we now have like a good primate <laughs> it makes me really happy um uh rabska is the bug pokemon that i've gravitated to, to towards this game i already like dung beetles um especially and i named mine dung defender from <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> from hollow knight <laughs> from hollow knight um and i think it's a fun take to have like a psychic dung beetle that uh is capable of reviving things for some reason i don't know what the lore is there <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a necromancer <laughs> apparently <laughs> that's awesome um yeah the other bug pokemon are kind of disappointing this generation um, which is unfortunate. Uh, Palafin's really cool. I really like the gimmick of basically he's Superman. And so he flees away to change into his cape and return as a superhero. Yeah, that's pretty cool. They're called zero and hero forms. Yeah. Between the two. They're pretty cool. Uh, just got to take off those glasses and then no one can tell the difference. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a really fun take a unique idea. Um, apparently it's, Really tearing apart single battles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think they banned Palafin yeah. from singles in Smogin. And then King Gambit's really cool. Um, just like a fun idea. I don't know why. I don't know if like of all Pokemon Bisharp needed an evolution, but sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really powerful too. Uh, and then Dundonzo, I really like its gimmick. Uh, along with the other one that I can't remember its name. Good old Snorlax of the Sea. Yeah. It's with just Tatsugiri. a giant catfish that uh, has a fun gimmick. Um, yeah. And the gimmick's actually pretty useful, but not like oppressively so. It's just got a prankster uh, haze it. Yeah, that's cool. That's a good list, I think. I think there were some really solid designs in all this generation. Yeah. 
Yeah, when I saw the leaks, I wasn't too <laughs> high on the <laughs> list. I thought, I thought it was a pretty weak list of Pokedex po- or of Pokemon, but seeing them in action, um, they really grew on me to the point where I would say it, it's a pretty good addition, uh, a really good addition or set of additions to the Pokedex. Yeah, I will say though that there are quite a few Pokemon introduced this generation that I still don't remember all of their names for. I learned Sword and Shield's Pokemon pretty quickly, um, and there are just some that continue to escape me in Scarlet and Violet, but I, I'm sure that that'll go away with time. See, there's a ton of Pokemon in Sword and Shield that I just do not <laughs> Well, you just hated Sword and Shield in general, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The further we get from Sword and Shield, the more I realize, man, I just did not like that game. No, you didn't. Anyway, so... You got to play with all three starters. Which one was your favorite? Uh, surprisingly, Mascarada. Just the flower trick move was so, so useful in a pinch. Yep. <laughs> um, there are so many trainers in this game that try to double team you to death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just having a move that just says, no, your iron defenses and your um, double teams just do not matter. We're, we're, <laughs> we're just getting rid of this. Uh, the duck was really useful. Um, and then Skrella Dirge was basically my sweeper. So mm-hmm. once I, once my opponent sent out a Pokemon that I could like, uh, set up on, then I would send out Skrella Dirge and then just sweep the rest of the team. So all three were actually really good. Um, yeah, I, I keep forgetting the name of the duck, but the duck was my revenge killer. My crocodile was my sweeper. And then, um, Mascaretto was the one that would like save me in a pinch. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't really play with Skeledurge or with um, Quackwaval. I think that they're great designs and really strong, like we discussed earlier. But Meowscarada, I love Meowscarada a lot. And Sprigatito is still my favorite from the base designs. I just I just love that little kitty. Yeah. Um, I think it's a cuter kitty than um, Litten was as well. I really like its second design. I just, when it puts on the mask, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well... Now, I think we get to the part where we kind of wrap up some of our thoughts here. Um, what do you think, Jordan? How would you rate the game? I feel like this is a really hard one because the performance and con- the performance issues and the lack of content really hurt my view of the game. But at the same time, I think it's one of the more enjoyable games to play now. Um, if like someone, if, if I were to tell someone to like, try Pokemon. I don't know how many people haven't tried Pokemon out there, but <laughs> this would be the one I probably would point them to. And then I'd give them like a warning, like, Hey, by the way, the performance issue is really bad. And, um, if you don't like the gameplay loop within the first few hours, you're probably not going to like it. It doesn't get better because <laughs> <laughs> there's not a lot of content outside of that, but right. I think the game is solid. Um, I wish they would incorporate a lot of ideas from Arceus. Uh, I don't know if it's the best game this year. I don't know if this or Arceus win the Pokemon Game of the Year award. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to give it a 7.5, which is a pretty good score, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good score. I mean, most of the games that we review on this podcast end up getting pretty high scores because we typically talk about games that we really enjoy. Uh but yeah, a 7.5 is actually really good. Like, just so our listeners know, we really do think that a 5 is an average score for video games. And a lot of them deserve that and lower. Um, as for me with Scarlet and Violet, I mean, the performance stuff is 
it it hurts so bad sometimes. I mean, I saw, I believe, Small Ant posted a clip where he had a timer running for his whole first playthrough of the game. And then he finally stopped after like 20 something hours, pulled up the save menu and was like, look, um, I've been playing for like 24 hours um, on my timer that, you know, is based on real time. And the in-game time, which he had never reset or exited the game from, was off by like two whole hours. The slowdowns were that bad. <laughs> like he lost two hours within a 20 hour window. It's crazy. Even yeah. from like the in-game timer. So <clears throat> I think that the game really suffers from the poor performance, especially when you go near those huge bodies of water. It becomes so hard to want to continue to play in those areas. Like I stopped hunting out there uh, when I finished <laughs> that part of the quest. I was like, I'm done out here. I'm just going to go back to the mainland. All in all, I wish there was a lot more content, um, as we've already talked about. I think that there is a huge room of improvement for this region. I think that the region looks wonderful. It's full of really interesting and unique characters. The Pokemon designs are really strong. And I really enjoyed a lot of it. But I did not spend dozens and dozens and dozens of hours playing the game like I did with Breath of the Wild or with Horizon Zero Dawn or with some of these other bigger, um, you know, open world games that I just really have enjoyed. But, you know, I think that the games definitely deserve about a seven out of ten. Like if it weren't for the performance issues, they'd be much higher up and I'd probably enjoy playing them more consistently as well. So, yeah. It'll be interesting when we get to, I guess, next episode when we talk about the best games of the year. Yeah. Uh, where this is going to fall in line. Because it's not like this was the craziest year for games on Nintendo. No, no. I'm really interested to see what happens next year. And we can talk about that on the next episode because it seems really DLC heavy plus uh, Zelda. <laughs> so. Well, maybe maybe put Pikmin as well. Oh, yeah. Pikmin. Yeah, that's that's probably coming out. Maybe we'll get the new Switch next year like we thought we were this year. (laughs) (laughs) We can talk about that on a different episode. (laughs) Sounds good to me. Well, is there anything else to say about these Pokemon games? I think we've both summarized what what we have to say. I think I'm good. We've been talking for about an hour, 40 minutes. Yeah, (laughs) it's pretty good. We don't normally go this long, but we had a lot to say about these games. So we hope that you have enjoyed this uh, really long episode of the Nintendo Fusion podcast. We've had a lot of fun recording it, I think. So if you enjoyed the episode, please be sure to leave a like or comment or review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Doing so will just help out uh, so that other people can find the show. You can also join our discord by going to nintendofusioncom slash discord. That'll beam you right into our server where you can talk about these games and other Nintendo things with us. But with all that said and done, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Nintendo Fusion podcast, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. See ya.